Why are you so nervous, Marcus? It's all right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> good day, chick. And I'll just say, right back at him, I'll say, good day, toots. Did the t- boys take the piss out of it? Yes, we did, but we all did enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pressure Point Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Quinny DeLuca. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Going well. Going well. How's your day been? Yeah, no, nah, good, mate. Big, good. Big, yeah, it's been a big, big, been a big week for us, yeah. so yeah. it's good. Exciting stuff. That's good. Mate, it's, uh, it's an exciting episode. We've got uh, a big special guest. We uh, we haven't had one for a few weeks now, and, um, and yeah, we're very excited by this one. And before we introduce him, we'll uh, just run through his, uh, his footy resume. 237-game player with North Melbourne and Carlton, 310 goals, two-time premiership player, an AFLPA MVP, All-Australian, and a best and fairest winner. His name is Corey McKernan. Corey, welcome to the Pressure Point Podcast. G'day, boys. How are you going? Very good, mate. Thank you for, thank you for joining us. No, that's right. How's, uh, how's life been? Whereabouts are you based out of these days? Uh, well, you can see what I'm wearing compared to what you're wearing that... Uh, it would suggest that I'm not in Melbourne, but no, we've been living up in on the Sunshine Coast for three and a half years, and uh, it's fair to say I won't be won't be coming back when I'm when I'm looking at the weather in uh, in Melbourne as we tick over the first day of winter and seeing that it's going to be a top of eleven and twelve degrees every single day moving forward. I'm I'm not really going to miss it. You know, it's going to be a grim few days. We've had a pretty good run with the weather. I think the last few weeks but yeah you're right it's gonna be pretty grim the next few days so i definitely envy you where you are at the moment yeah no don't definitely don't come down here mate it's uh, absolutely freezing but um but let's talk about footy that's why we've got you on and um like we do with all our all our guests that we get on we we bring it right back to the start and um yeah for you mate where did it all it all start you know down to your to your juniors and um and working your way up to um to, to pretty much getting recruited uh yeah which where do I start um well no I yeah grew up in Gladstone Park and then uh I played footy at West Meadows I started down there when I was about five years old and yeah started at Westie it's the same same footy club as Dane Swan so he's probably the other famous AFL player to come out of West Meadows so it's pretty good on ball brigade in the West Meadows team of the century um but yeah, like I played at West Meadows from when I was about five till I was about sort of 12 or 13 years old. And then I, I stopped playing uh, like club football um, and then started playing golf. Um, so yeah, at that point was always going out, spent a lot of my time at Tullamarine Golf Club, now uh, Melbourne Airport Club right next to the, right next to the airport. Um, if you if you couldn't learn how to play in the wind out at Tullamarine, you weren't going to become a very good golfer. So it's probably something I'm I'm forever grateful for now that I, I grew up playing in the wind at Tullamarine because it forced you to learn to hit all types of different shots. But um yeah, in the end, um I think what happened, like even though I was playing golf around, around that period, obviously the easiest way to get time off school was to play school footy. And um, from when I was about 13, played all the school, like not really 13, but sort of once you got to 14 or 15, then you're playing like year nine footy and um, playing the um, school footy. And then I, um, I think when, once you got to sort of year 10, year 11, then you're playing in the senior, senior school footy team. And I think um, when was that? The last year that would have been when I was in year 12, was just playing school footy and then, um, North Melbourne actually, um, they ran all of our school games. So it was quite interesting. I got sent off a few times by Rowan Robinson, who was the head, head recruiter at North Melbourne, which is not really going to endear yourself to getting recruited by the North Melbourne Football Club when, you, when you're telling the head recruiter to go and stick the Sharon where the sun don't shine. Um <laughs> But because they actually ran that school zone, in the end, it's a long-winded way of getting there. But um, obviously, because North Melbourne ran the zone, in the end, they uh, they they alerted Dennis Pagan to the fact that there was a skinny kid from Gladstone Park that was uh, dominating school football at that time. And Dennis would come out, out to my house in Gladstone Park and I'd, I'd famously go and hide in my room and, and tell 
mum when Dennis would would drive down uh, into the court in Solby Place in Gladstone Park. I'd I'd see that shitbox Camira coming down the court, and uh, I'd uh, I'd go I'd tell mum and say, look, I'd, and it was no disrespect to Dennis. I I, I just had no um, passion for playing football at that point. I'd you know, I mean during that time I you know, I mean I had more dreams of maybe going to Augusta National or going to the British Open. I was more keen on uh, playing golf at that point. And it was only Dennis came out to my house and yeah, it was well documented. I used to go and hide and I think it was going into round six, nine and 91. And then Dennis uh, said to me, he eventually got hold of me, which was a miracle. <coughs> and uh, excuse me. And in the end, he said, look, he goes, I'm going to go against all my rules. Um, I'll let you, all you have to do is come down, train Thursday night, and then you can play on Saturday. And I thought, well, that's not too bad. I miss out on the Tuesday night training session, which was the harder session. And, you know, I can just train Thursday, see how I go. And, uh, I mean, I can sort of get Dennis out of my head to a degree. And then, uh, so I trained Thursday night, um, then played my first game against St Kilda, in the under-19s at Arden Street. I think I kicked uh, five goals in the first quarter um, and ended up kicking 11 for the game. And um, I remember, I think Dennis actually walked past mum at quarter time or something like that. And I think he must have said something to mum, the words to the effect of, this is why I've been trying to get him down to North Melbourne type thing. And so yeah, really from that moment on, I uh, I was I was at North Melbourne, even though 1991, that was the last year of the under 19s, and um, yeah, it was it was an interesting period because for those that don't know, that was the last year of the under 19s, and what would in 1992 become the the current under 18 model. So there's a bit of history that we uh, we eventually went on to win the the under 19s grand final that year, and and just for the people out there that are listening or watching the people that were playing in the North Melbourne under 19s at that time, you had myself, Glenn Archer, Damien Hardwick, Brad Scholl, Stuart Anderson. Um, there were, and there were a lots of other guys that didn't go on to play senior footy. But when you look back at it now, it's any wonder that, you know, I mean, we were successful and we won the under 19s and, any wonder years later, it would form the nucleus of a, of a team that would win the premiership five years later. Yeah, that yeah, that, that's great. There's some of those names there. I mean, Damien Harwick for you, I think your, yeah, your eyes picked up there. But um, yeah, no, that's great. Dimmer, that's- Dimmer, Dimmer was quite funny because around that time, Dimmer actually had a job um, from memory where he was working at the bank. So he was, uh, he was very quiet, Dimmer, around that time. And it was it was funny because he was sort of always on the fringes, and he remember at that point he, he didn't get picked up by North Melbourne, and then ended up um, yeah ended up that he eventually went to went to Essendon and had to yeah you know, I mean it was a longer journey for him to to play AFL football, but yeah amazing uh, football factory was was the under nineteens for the North Melbourne Footy Club like when you. I know we're going forward a little bit. When you think of the team that ended up winning in 1996, you had the likes of Wayne Swass, Anthony Rock, Mick Martin, Wayne Carey, um, myself, Stuart Anderson, Glenn Archer. It was uh, It's probably unheard of um, in the history of the AFL as any team had such a junior development program and come th- through and be so dominant like North Melbourne were. Yeah, no surprises why you guys are so dominant with some of the names that you, you listed off there. But obviously from the under-19s, you then started playing senior football and would have had your debut. Obviously, everyone remembers their debut, whether it's uh, kick their first goal or just their first game. What what do you remember from your um, debut experience? Um, oh, look, my, mine was a, a, a very long journey to actually get there. And, and just going backwards a little bit, like I... I Again, as I've said off the top, I wasn't really that keen on playing football. That that continued through the first probably 18 months that I was on the list of uh, being at North Melbourne. And, but then going into 1993, I think I was emergency something like 11 or 12 times. But again, the start of 1993, I actually, I actually ruptured my appendix and I went from, I built myself up to 99 kilos, which for me was a big effort considering I think I was 86 or 87 
and then I ruptured my appendix and, and that really set me behind the eight ball, but still ended up playing one game in 1993. So for me, it was actually a pretty good effort to, to even get back and play senior footy that year. But um, yeah, like my first game, it was, a, it was a bit of a blur. Like you don't, I think it's probably the one bit of advice you'd tell any young players. And look, I, I think they're a hell of a lot better now, nowadays that, yeah, don't, when, when you get your chance, just go in and, and ha- have it. My only regret is probably you, you just have more of a crack because you, you get picked because you actually belong. But I think at that time when you're a young player, it's always at the back of your mind. You're trying to find yourself and whether you actually do belong. But it's probably my advice to anyone playing their first game nowadays, like let it all rip. Like don't be, don't be worried about reputations. Don't be worried about who you're coming up against. If you do the things that got you there, you'll yeah let let him let it go a lot earlier than probably what i did yeah right i mean you've come obviously you came such a long way from not really wanting to play footy and you know obviously more interested in other things and then to win two premierships and <clears throat> have the accolades that you ended up having was something pretty amazing but one thing i wanted to touch on and i know it might be a little bit of a down point but obviously in 96 it um, came equal in terms of votes in the brownlow medal and due to a suspension you when able to get it, it's a rule I'm not honestly a big fan of at all. I, th- I don't think that it should really matter whether you get suspended mm-hmm. or not. But what was that like? Obviously, it would have been was it something you focused on a lot, or was it sort of sort of duck off the waters back of there, or water off the duck's back? I should say I've butchered that one, but yeah. <laughs> no, I knew what you were not trying to say. Yeah, um, you, you got there. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's interesting. I I think, and I don't know whether people are actually more taken back by my response or anything, but I've that particular week's probably one of my favorite weeks of my whole life just because of the fact that um yeah to be able to handle everything that was thrown at me as a 22 year old um i i often i often have a chuckle nowadays that when they when they speak about ruckman being young and oh we've got to give them more time and all this sort of stuff maddie capuana and i didn't have a choice we were, i was 22 and maddie capuana was 21 we were, we were both playing in the seniors and you're playing in the grand final. And um, I, like I said, I think I'm a, I'm, I'm a little bit more critical. When you when you actually tell players they've actually got more time, they'll, they'll take it. Whereas once you're in that moment and you've got your chance to do something special like we did, um, there was really, for mine, my, my whole thing is that I wanted to win a premiership medal for Ian Fairley, Blades, um, Craig Scholl, Wayne Swass, I, I wanted to win a medal for them, uh, probably more than what I wanted to win it for myself. And that particular week, to be able to handle all that pressure of, had the Brownlow medal uh, happen on the Monday, um, I was nearly not going to play because of my posterior cruciate. I had 40 mils of blood drained out of my knee on the Wednesday. Um, to then, you know, I mean, basically come out in the grand final, I had 31 possessions playing in the ruck in the grand final. I don't, People, I don't know, I think even what, like you said off the top, and it's probably only natural, people go, was I ever disappointed about it? Not one little bit have I ever lost any sleep about not winning the Brownlow. In fact, if I see grand final week for me is such a great week because of the memories that to be able to know that I stood up under the greatest of pressure is the biggest badge of honour I think you can ever do. Like it'd be like you boys, if you were going to, know how you're going to be judged as a player for me to be able to know that in the ultimate, ultimate of pressure, I had the entire world thrown at me and to be able to come out and play like I did and handle that whole week. Like I did is something I'm forever proud about. And um, hang on one second. I reckon I've still got, I actually have got a Brownlow medal (laughs) because Anthony Rock and Wayne Carey stopped at McDonald's. <laughs> I don't know whether you right. can see it. Yeah. yeah, I can see it. The centenary logo That's and all. Brilliant. <laughs> so, to be honest, it meant just as much coming from them than what. A, no disrespect to the umpires, but it's like for one of you boys, if you're one of your mates, and and yeah, it was at the time like they were sort of. That's the way we were at North Melbourne at the time. We're all great mates and whatever. And if that light in the mood during grand final week, but I don't know, for me to be able to get that from you mates anyway, meant as much as getting the real thing 
anyway. So, I mean, I've obviously still kept that. That was the blue and white ribbon. Obviously, a lot of effort's gone into that. I, I can't see Wayne Carey um, doing a lot of effort into that. And they argued who got the meal deal at McDonald's. But, yeah, I've still kept it. It sits with, I think, my other one. So the other funny thing with this is I'm, I'm showing you some of my stuff here. <laughs> so 1996, after we won the grand final, I did happen to wear my premiership medallion and um, I may have had a couple of beers. Oh, no. When I got home, I decided I'd put it on the dog. Now, <laughs> I had a German shepherd at the time and they said, what's the German shepherd got in its mouth? And, well, there's the, oh, the two oh, no. oh, geez. a good <laughs> and, one, and actually one more story if you um i'll tell you boys so what happened when i'd moved house a couple of times i i'd actually lost i actually lost some metal and for about seven or eight years i had no idea where my 1996 metal was and then when we were moving house i actually um down the back of the drawers you know how you, sometimes you put stuff in the drawers and then it goes down the back well, one day we'd moved house a couple of times and then the removalist ha happened to pull out and he goes, what's what's in that case? And then I thought, I, I actually got goosebumps straight away. I went, holy shit, I really want to know what's in there. And then opened it up. It was a bit like, like Raiders of the Lost Ark where he opened it up. <laughs> there it was. So, uh. Uh, But look, that, like I said, you know, I mean, I know it's a, a long answer we ask about um the brown line like it it's never honestly it's never ever it, it probably bothers other people more than it's ever bothered me if one day they gave it to you great but for me um i think the way that and, and again my situation is probably vastly different to what chris grant went through um that i i don't think he maybe is positive towards the situation compared to me because I was fortunate enough that we were we were in the grand final, you know what I mean? And I had that to look forward to and I wanted to get my hands on one of these things over and above, you know what I mean, winning a Brownlow medal. So, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't trade anything in the world um, for the way that I was able to handle that week as a 22-year-old. As a yeah, that's amazing. That's a brilliant perspective. I mean, that's a better attitude than what a lot a lot would have and, Certainly, probably you and I as well. I reckon. Oh, 100 well, percent. Well, boys, I could I could probably sue them if 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 one day I get the medal, I might sue them for all these retrospective things that I might have had. Like there might be <laughs> yeah. a lot more cashies at sportsmen's nights and functions and okay. sponsorships. But no, I've never honestly, it's never never bothered me. And and I think um yeah, when I look back at it, and when you actually watch the grand final itself, to know that you you played well on the biggest stage of all, that's that's better than any Brownlow medal. Exactly right. Well, while we're on the top, we may as well touch on that '96 flag, and um, it was a big one for the Roos. It was their first one in, in nearly 20 years. Um, run us through that experience. Obviously, yeah, you, you said you had a big game as well, and um, a big chance for the norm on the day. Uh, run us through the experience of playing in an AFL grand final, obviously winning it, um, and then obviously, um, yeah, the post-match celebrations that that lead after that is always fascinating as well. Oh, look, the the game itself and the lead up. I think one of the great things that Dennis was always um, really drummed into us, and I, and I know some people get bored. Uh, by the simplicity about it in terms of uh, if I end up speaking to like local teams in the lead into grand final, sometimes I nearly say, well, don't talk to me. You never talk to me in any other week. So why should you talk to me during the biggest week of your life? So I, I distinctly remember, I remember one funny little side note, and, 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 but this actually speaks volumes about your preparation. Do exactly what you do every other single week. So I live with Matty Capuano and Stewie Anderson. I remember on the Thursday night, um, we're at home and, you know, I mean, it's grand final week, but then I think we we decided we're living, we lived in Ascot Vale. So we went to the Royal Melbourne show. And I think a few people, we raised a few eyebrows when we, I think, remember that ride, the Gravitron at the Royal Melbourne show. And we're all on the Gravitron upside down and doing all that sort of stuff. And I think a few people were taken aback of, well, what are you guys doing here? But again, that, that's what Dennis had drummed into us about keep your preparation exactly the same as what you do every, every other week. 
If you have a beer every other week, the night before the game, we'll do it before the grand final. If you go around mum and dad's house to have a bowl of pasta or a pre-game meal, make sure you keep doing it. So um, they were the things that going into the grand final, you tried to keep everything exactly the same. Um, but game day, look, the game, the game itself, um, I still remember, yeah, like going into, into co- quarter time was like a really sort of big moment, I think, for me as well, because just before quarter time, I'd hit my knee really hard. And as I mentioned before, I'd had 30 or 40, I think I had 40 mils of blood drained out during the week. And um, I distinctly re- remember having the conversation with Harry Unlick and he comes out and I think he was really concerned about me. And I said, no, I'm actually really good now. If that's the worst that's actually going to be, well, I'm going to be really good. You know what I mean? So I, I remember sort of having that conversation and um, uh, maybe the only other thing, um, and I know Lee Matthews talks about this. I'm, I'm just thinking of different things as, as you've asked me, but the one thing even with grand final day I love, even watching teams go through now and even for many years afterwards, I would hear Lee Matthews talk about the same thing and it sums it up to a T when you run onto the MCG. Even he says about the fact that when you when you walk up the race and then eventually that it's like a wall of sound that actually hits you. And that's the best way to describe it. Like it, you can actually, in normal games, you run out and you hear the noise. But grand final day, when you run out, you hear it and you feel it. So it's how you then deal with those emotions and that enormity of the situation. I, personally, I, I loved it. The bigger, crowd, the bigger the crowd was, the better I actually played. And um, I think my advice to anyone, if you were going in the grand final, you've actually got to go, you, you got to go with it. You've actually got to not be afraid of it. It's, um, it's, but it's also finding that balance between I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I'm not going too far over the top. And I know, thankfully we were, we were in trouble for a fair bit in that game, but it's funny towards the end of the game, I still remember you're running around, not, when it's your first one, you don't know what to expect and don't know what to feel. So I remember like with five or ten, five or six minutes to go, I was still running around screaming at people, keep going, keep going, because you just have this fearful uh, thought in the back of your mind that the team's going to suddenly kick five or six goals in four minutes. Like it's not going to happen. But when you're out in the ground, that's what makes me laugh when um, – when you see leads nowadays and whatever, and people go, oh, yeah, they're going to be fine. As a player, when you're on the ground, you never think that you're far enough up. Unless you were eight or nine goals up with five minutes to go, then you could truly relax. But any anything under that, you're still going to be a bit antsy and a bit nervous. And because we'd never won the grand final before, you're still thinking that, oh, my God, that they're suddenly going to kick some goals. But, yeah, that, that sense of, um, I suppose, euphoria when – when the siren goes and you win it, it's probably vastly different to what it was a few years later. It was more a sense of a relief compared to the first one. Well, yeah, that, 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 that's a good segue into to the next question was the 99 flag. How did that differ to the 96? Obviously, you yeah, a different feeling with the first one's more relief and the second one um, is, yeah, that yeah, it's just a different feeling. Run us through that 99, like the differences between 96 and 99. Obviously, only three years apart, but um, yeah, two different opponents as well. Yeah, look, look. I think for us, I know a lot of people do talk about the fact that yeah, if Essendon are there and all that sort of stuff. Well, the facts are they weren't, so it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Um, but for us, anyway, look, I, I think that disappointment of, of losing in 1998 when we're we're pretty heavy favourites and um, yeah, we kicked I think two goals eleven in the second quarter. Um, and by rights, look, if we if we had a kick straight like we should have, or not even kicking straight, even if you kick six goals, seven or five got five goals, eight, you go in half time that you're going to be 40 or 50 points up. And but again, full credit to the other crows. They they, you know, I mean, they took their well, they did we kept them in the game, we gave them a chance, they were a good enough team to come back and they won it. Um, so for us, yeah, 99 was after losing in 98, it was more of a sense of relief. I think overall, I'm in agreement with what 
with what Wayne Carey says about us at that time that, look, from a, a consistency point of view, I think we could be considered up there with, you know, I mean, it's probably disappointing that at different times we're not considered in the same light as some of these, um, you know, I mean, great teams that people mention. But I think um, maybe a par mark for us, we were probably just one short. We probably, <coughs> excuse me, um, we were probably one short of what we should have achieved. I think for the team, how great how great that team was when you make seven straight prelim finals in a row, um, I think we should have at least won three. Um, two two's really good, don't get me wrong, but I think for that team and how good it was, we probably should have won three. Yeah, I mean, that three, that three is like the magical one, isn't it? That creates a dynasty. I mean, you're seeing that with Richmond, Geelong, Hawthorne, all those teams. That third one is always that creates that that dominant period where, yeah, North just missed out on But, you know, North Melbourne in the late 90s was one of the most dominant teams. So, um, and I saw that as a current supporter in 99. That was a, a tough, tough watch. But, uh, yeah, North were always such a, such a great team during that period. So, um well, fast forwarding a year later, year 2000, um, you played a good game against the Cats, kicked eight goals against them on a Friday night. Would you say that was one of your better, or if not your best individual game that you, th- you think you had over your career? Um, no, look, it was all right. Like, I, I think when I, when I look back at it, my, um, my, fi- like my actual finals record in general um, is probably something I'm most proud of. Um, so for me, and, and, and which is great because that, that sort of means whenever the games of the most importance and, and everything was on the line, that, that, that was when I played my best footy. Um, and there were a lot of really good Friday night games. Um, but no, like I, I, I probably, it's, it's hard to put a finger on when you say, oh, is it which game's probably your best game you ever played? I don't know, like in terms of a, an occasion look even both the 96 and 99 grand finals were two of they were two different games like 96 i had a lot of possessions had 30 or 31 possessions in the grand final but then 99 i didn't have a lot but the ones i had were all big big moment type possessions like i kicked three goals in the grand final and i I probably blame carlton a little bit for taking um they, they put Glenn Manton on me and took Cooter off me. And I sort of, I blame Carlton for that, for me not winning the Norm Smith, because once I had Glenn Manton on me, I thought, hang on, I'm a chance to win the Norm Smith and I didn't kick another goal. <laughs> <laughs> you needed the pressure of Cooter. <laughs> nah, look, I, I, look, I'm really good mates with Cooter. And um, yeah, I, I, I try not to... Um, uh, yeah, I am actually good mates with him, so I try not to bring up '99 too many times. I do often wonder though why. Um, it is funny, look, as uh, for Carlton people, when you really think about it, I, it'd be interesting if Carlton had their time over again. Whether they just would have put Cooter in the midfield from the start of that game, because that was probably their best chance to go. You know what? We've got to la- we've got to land our best shots on the Kangaroos straight away, rather than. Well, it was a very defensive move to put Cooter on to me, considering the week before he dominated against um, Essendon and that's what won him the game. But again, if we were all able to play games of footy again after what we know, we'd all be, uh, we'd all be champ- champions, wouldn't we? Well, that's it. And it, it's funny you said that because our last guest we had on was Cooter and he said the exact same thing, how in the Essendon game they put him in the midfield and he dominated. Um, and it's just a wonder why they wouldn't have done the same thing again against the Roos. But it wasn't to be. And um, you said Kuda was one of your good mates. And speaking of good mates, you've mentioned him a few times today, uh, Wayne Carey. Obviously, you and him were known as a bit of a power couple on the field down there, two of the Kangaroos' better players. Uh, what was it like playing with, with Wayne? Obviously, he's known as one of the best players of all time, um, arguably. So what was it like playing with him? Well, look, I think the, the biggest thing that's uh, the people – probably the side of Wayne Carey that they don't get to see. Number one, um, what would I say? It's probably the way that he used to prepare for games of footy is probably even the reason why I I became the player I become as well. Um, That when you had someone like Wayne leading the way with the way he trained and prepared, well, it was a case of even with myself of monkey see, monkey do. You know what I mean? In terms of, 
well, during the week, um, he would go for an extra swim or we'd, we'd be doing all these extras. They're not extra special players because they train like everyone else does. They do a lot more than what everyone else does. And that's the same, whether that's Cooter at Carlton or even I know the effect that Ben Cousins had on Richmond when he went to Richmond. I know that, you know, I mean, you had Cochin and Dustin Martin and some of these guys saw the way that uh, Ben Cousins prepared. It, it's a real eye-opener for, um, I think, a lot of young footballers. You can't underestimate the importance of having a role model like that, that, yeah, they are unbelievable with their talent, but more importantly, the, how hard that they work to in order for the, uh, their talent to come come to the fore. And I don't, I don't think – I know I wouldn't have been the player. I, I wouldn't have been if I didn't have someone like Wayne Carey that, number one, I saw what he did, but it was just always that relentless push to get better. Um, and the other thing that I think is very much underrated, people always ask me, they go, oh, what's, what's Wayne Carey like, really like? And I don't know. I, I like to think that that's the effect – um, some of the things that I've picked up from him are the way that he treats people out in the public. Like if if you boys were out and you walked up to him and said, G'day, Wayne, and whatever, he's always very open and happy to have a chat with people. Um, if you've had about 4,000 beers, it's probably not the thing that I'd recommend. But <laughs> but then again, who, who, who enjoys that anyway? If someone walks up to you when you're really blind. But if... If you walk up, that's I've always seen him. There's probably never ever been a person in all my time that I've ever been around him that if they've asked for a photo and they're polite and they, I mean, they're, they're very using their manners and everything like that, he'll stop and have a chat with anyone. And I've never seen him knock that back. And I, and I think, um, I think it's something that's uh, very much underrated in terms of, um, yeah, what, the way that I've seen Wayne go about it. Yes, I'm not going to sit here and say he's been an angel all the way through, but I think those sorts of things that uh, I've been very lucky that whether it's been from a preparation point of view, and I'm going to say like in terms of, you know, I mean, if it's Joe Public that comes up to him and asks him for an autograph or a photo, he's never, I've, I've never seen him knock anyone back if they're polite. Yeah, that's great. It's great to hear. And um, I mean, yeah, and I know now if we're going to walk past him in the street, we'll probably ask him for a photo and be very polite. Only problem is you're usually 4,000 beers <laughs> deep, so maybe maybe give that one a miss. <laughs> no, no chance. Um, well, just last question on on, on Carey. In, do you think he's the greatest player of all time, in, in your opinion? I don't know. Like, I, it's, and again, maybe because I'm, I'm, I was always next to him, um, you maybe became a little bit blase about the fact of what he what he actually did at different times. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's the best way to put it. Like, I, 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 yeah, you become that you become that blase about different things that he would do on the field. That whether it was running back with the flight of it, or if the game needed um, someone to stand up and and grab it by the throat, well, then he'd do it that many times. Um, it is interesting. I have interviewed Lee Matthews in the same format where we're chatting like this and I had to do my research and it is interesting that they're both put up as the two greatest players of all time. And I've, uh, I can let, actually, I can let you on a, on a little secret. It was quite interesting. The, the way that Lee Matthews and Wayne Carey both judge great games of footy. I know they've never spoken about it, but they both, have the same metrics and they didn't even know it where basically if having a, a really good game for them was having over 20 possessions and kicking more than four goals. And it was interesting. Once I spoke to the pair of them, neither of them had had this conversation where they, they knew about it, but it was quite interesting. Here they are. They're both considered the, the, the greatest players of all time. They've both got the same metric. And one last thing that actually blew me away, that was, when I interviewed Lee Matthews, uh, like we all, we're all, we're all in awe of like some of the Dustin Martin games, like nowadays when he has 25 possessions and kick four goals, right? It was really interesting. Um, and not that I'm trying to mount a case for Lee Matthews being the greatest player of all time, but there were games where Lee Matthews would have the high thirties and kick seven or eight goals. <laughs> like in 19, 1977, 
Now, this blows me away. And again, I'm not manning a case for Lee either way, but <laughs> he had, he kicked 91 goals and averaged, I think, 28 or 29 possessions. And he never won the Brownlow. That's, that's ridiculous. Unbelievable. Imagine if a player was doing that now weekly. Yeah. You boys and everyone out there listening, go and, as Molly Meldrum would say, go and do yourself a favour. You actually have to look. It's mind-blowing. So, I oh, look, we're, oh, look, either of them, I think, at their prime and what they were doing. Um, look, it, it is pretty good when you think about it. I know that Lee Matthews, when they ask him who's the best player he's ever seen, and he says Wayne Carey. So, I'm not. I'm not going to argue with the arguably the other greatest player of all time. <laughs> yeah. That look, I, I'm just again. I'm. I'm very fortunate. Um, I don't think I would have become the player I did if I didn't get to play with someone like Wayne. And and it wasn't. People think oh, just because the. You know, I mean, the performances he did. It wasn't about that. It was the way that he went about it that made us all better players. Yeah, for sure. Sure. That's yeah, that's that's great. Great, great to hear. Like just the standards that they they have on it on, on themselves as well. Well, you can tell that yeah, their idea of a good game compared yeah. to what most other people's would be, it shows why that was so good. So yeah. I like, that was a great insight. Yeah, awesome. Um, all right, let's move back on to you, Corey. And um, yeah, you you move to Carlton. So yeah, obviously I don't I don't think a lot of people wouldn't everyone probably thinks you're just a North Melbourne man, but you did move to Carlton um uh, in 2002. What was um yeah, what was the inspiration behind the move, I guess, and the whole experience of you know leaving North, where you're yeah you're you're a legend of the club, and then you're, you're moving off to Carlton. So, what was your experience and the inspiration behind that? Uh, well, the reason for the move, yeah, like it was I don't know at that point, my relationship with uh, with Dennis and yeah me enjoying my football. I look, it was no different to you guys having a boss at work where you don't get the best out of one another. So I. I decided that I think there was a few, there might've been a few different clubs that I was talking to, but in the end I decided um, I was going to move to Carlton and yeah, like the, the first initial phase at Carlton, I don't know whether you remember it, but we're talking 2002. So I know the, the blues fans out there, you're coming out of your, your 20 year hangover, but um, yeah, in 2002, the Blues weren't used to being in and around the bottom of the ladder at that time. And I remember at that time, I was probably copping the brunt of it because I was like the new player that had come from the different club. And so, yeah, it was interesting. Those first uh, six or seven weeks at Carlton were pretty hairy. I remember there were games where it had come off at, um, at then Princess Park. I don't know. I didn't, well, what's it called now? Is it called Icon? It's Icon now. Icon yeah. Park, yeah. yeah. Now Icon, but the very famous uh, Princess Park at that at that point. And it was a new thing for you Carlton supporters to lose games of footy uh, way back when. But no, nah, look, I, I that uh, particular time, I, I, I mean, I, I was, again, I, I, I knew the enormity of playing for a club like Carlton. And I was, I was um, I mean, the opportunity to play in those big blockbuster games of playing against Richmond, playing against Collingwood, playing against Tessendon. I knew the enormity of that. Um, but yeah, look, for me, from a personal point of view, it was probably one of the best things I'd ever done. Like to be able to, I mean, in those first five or six weeks where things weren't going that well, but to um, win the Carlton fans over by year's end and they could see I was really busting my ass and playing some pre- pretty good football and was very uh, fortunate in the end to win the the Carlton best and fairest in the end. Um, so, yeah, it was a was a very tough year. But then I uh, then found out a year later that there was a coach that the reason why I left uh, North Melbourne to go to Carlton, and then he ended up following me uh, over to Princess Park. You can't get away from him. <laughs> oh, Dennis was chasing you. But um, I, I, in my eyes, I think the era of football that you played in was probably the greatest era of football there is, and everyone's going to have their different opinions on that. But do you watch much of the footy these days? And if so, what are your thoughts on the current state of the game? Because obviously there's a lot of talk about that in the media at the moment. Some people think it's over-officiated. Some people think it's, um, you know, it's too slow. There's all different opinions. What are your thoughts on the current state of the game? Oh, well, I don't need to say anything because you've said it all. Um, <laughs> no, look, I again... I. I think everyone's going to say it. Like, I think a lot of players are going to say it that in terms of the footy 
uh, that they played in that particular era. Everyone's going to make a case of why it was the best. But I've seen a lot of those games. Now, when you think about it, that mid-90s, I reckon that mid-90s to 2000 was probably, if you could replicate footy now um, on a regular basis, that's the type of footy that we want to see where there's a longer longer kicking but still contested footy. Um, but whereas now, like I, I'm probably the same as you boys, you talk about over-officiated and I don't know, like, and again, one day I have to do this, boys. So I've maybe got an exclusive for a pressure point. And I think you're going to look like a pack of geniuses if we can <laughs> prove a point with this, right? What we need to do, we need to do the stats for the home and away season on how many free kicks are paid, right? But then do the stats on how many free kicks they pay in the AFL grand final. Because my theory is, and like what happened late in the Collingwood game on the weekend, when, when it seems like the game's on the line, the umpires are less likely to pay decisions that are going to influence the outcome. By Jesus, on the weekend, we heard an umpire run over and said, boys, I'm going to use common sense. Oh, don't. Don't start me on that one. That's, <laughs> that'd shit me up the wall. Now, you can't come out with something. Imagine saying something like that when... We're just, as soon as someone moves their hands like this, we're giving away 50-meter penalty, and you're going to use the term, we're going to use common sense now? Like, I don't know. Look, I, I, would, I just wish they would umpire every game like it was the AFL grand final. That's, that would be my advice, to go, if it's genuinely there, pay it. If not, just let it go. Like, and, and it'd be interesting, all this stuff with the stand rule, demonstrative behavior, we, we, in the end, we introduced something that, to be honest, was it really that big of an issue in the game? I don't think so. I don't know. It's, um, I just wish they would just umpire it like the last five minutes of the AFL grand final. That would be my advice to the umpires. Just umpire it like that because they don't want to be known in that last five minutes to give away a free kick that's going to influence the outcome of an AFL grand final, do they? No, spot on. Yeah. No, that, it's, it's so true. I mean, and you probably saw that in the last – five minutes of the, the Carlton Collingwood game on the weekend where they just sort of just let things go. There was a few free kicks that could have been, that probably would have been paid any other stage of the game. So you sort of want it officiated like that too. Let, uh, but let the football go. Let, like, let, let it play. Let it play out. Yeah, let yeah. it play. Um, so again, if it was a ride on quarter time, mm. was it, who was the, the last free kick? In, and I'm talking to a Carlton supporter that would actually know the, the one that I'm talking about. Yeah, the Sam Walsh one. Yeah. Sam Walsh one. Now, if that was right on quarter time, yeah. I think nine times out of ten, they're going to pay that as yep. a free kick. Definitely. And, yep. that, and look, to be honest, that's what drives us all mad. That's, mm. that's the shit that drives everyone mad. All we want. And again, but then they come out and say, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to umpire with common sense or I'm going to, I'm going to, you go, hang on. You've just, for the other 119 minutes and 50 seconds, You've decided you're going through all these, like I can't move and I, I can't do this and I, I've moved off the line and all this sort of stuff. But yeah, in that last instance, and look, that's what drives us all mad when we watch the game. We just wish that last, like you mentioned, that last four or five minutes of that Carlton Collingwood game, the game's on the line. There's 80,000 people at the MCG. We want to see that rolling, like sort of contest where someone's actually got to stand up. And sometimes there's going to be a millisecond of a thing or a millimetre of a thing that could be off. We don't want that to decide the games of footy. No, absolutely not. And I've been saying it for a few weeks now on the podcast that all I want from the umpires and the game in general is just consistency. So if they're going to use common sense, let's use it every week for the entire game. You know, the last you know there's something wrong you just said then. I'm going to take exception to what you said. You know, <laughs> today's environment, common sense is not that common. <laughs> you're right you're right realize if it was that common it wouldn't need to be called common sense <laughs> no, you're right you're right i can't knock you down you're spot true. on there you're spot. i think that's the issue that's half the issue but we can we can dwell on this all day if we wanted but we'll move on um well yeah talking about your, your former club north and um they're in a bit of a, a tough situation at the moment um yeah they're going through a pretty tough season a lot of media attention on them a lot of scrutiny what are your thoughts on the current situation at North? And um, I saw 
um, you know, your video last week about uh, an idea to, to bring to the club as well, to bring some past players back and a bit of positivity back to the club. What are your you know, thoughts on, on what's going on down at Arden Street at the moment? Oh, look, I think um, all that's happening now, my theory or whatever you want to call it is this. Um, I think for many years, North were great at, at, at being able to be competitive. Um, that was, the, in, in some way, it was a badge of honour that we're always competitive. Um, was it ever going to be enough to get us a fifth flag? No, it wasn't. So all that's happened now, um, for everyone that's been screaming out for it, like I probably led the charge and went, you know what, eventually, one day you've got to take your medicine and this is, this is, this is called taking your medicine, exactly what we're, we're doing now. Um, it, it's it's going to take time and it just means that people have got to stick fat. Um, people are going to get frustrated along the way, but I don't know. You know I mean, I'm, I'm really good mates with, with Paul Burnham from the Barmy Army in, in England. And I, I look at the Barmy Army and the, and the support they give their, the England cricket team when they're getting beat 5-0. Well, guess what? This is exactly the same. I'm also a Manchester United fan. So um, it means you've got to take the good with the bad and you've got to support your team through the hard times. And I don't know, as you mentioned off the top a little bit, I just went, well, what have I actually got control over? What can I do? I'm not going to go down there and put a jumper on and start telling Todd Goldstein how to ruck or anything like that. But then what can I can do? And my theory was, well, the fans need something to look forward to in the second half of the season. You know what I mean? Like if I can, as I mentioned in that video that you alluded to, if I can do four or five training sessions and it might mean I'm going to drag Wayne Carey down there and the 30 people that win the chance, but it's not only about providing that opportunity about, yeah, they, they get to meet me or Wayne or whatever, but it's also getting people involved to see what a great place at North Melbourne is. Um, get them in there. Like it could be, I'm actually going to, what I want to do is I actually want to get some of the old staff that were in there. Like we get, like a Mick Kennedy or a Lance Williams, all these people that were great North Melbourne people. So you show the place as a whole, what a great place that North Melbourne is. And um, look, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to doing it. I, you know, I mean, to be able to go down there in some way, shape or form, I've got a meeting with the club on, on Friday on Zoom. And um, yeah, like I'm, you know, I mean, I'm going to hit up the other one I'm going to hit up. I'm going to hit up Ricky Ponting. I'm going to hit up, all the people that barrack for North and like a Trevor Marmalade. Cause to be honest in this second half of the year, you can either, um, you know, I mean, it's either going to very bloody long one different for the Carlton fans out there is of course you start make plans for September and you haven't got September <laughs> off. Um, but you know what? You can still, you can still get a hell of a lot out of your footy seasons by trying to come up with things like this. And I think you boys might've seen it. You can see the reactions of, when I posted that out on social media, people love it. You know, people love the idea of coming down. It's the same as a Carlton fan. Like if you said, right, Stephen Kernahan was going to take people for a kick at Prince's Park. And then afterwards, we're going to get the cups out and you can have a photo. It's like, it's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it is. It'll be a dream for a lot of kids as well. And then obviously a lot of older people would still love the chance to get down and do that sort of thing. And I guess you talk about shin bone and spirit. I mean, I think that just sort of accentuates it. Right there, but we'll take a little step away from footy at the moment. I want to talk about something you've been doing um, outside of the game, and that's the Walk With Me Online initiative that you you came up with a few years ago. Why don't you, I, me and Marcus and I did our research, so we know a little bit about that, but why don't you tell everybody um, what the idea behind that is and what you what you do there with Walk With Me? Yeah, so, yeah, where do I start? Like, I think it was when the pandemic uh, first hit in 2020, and then I, I saw that, there was a headline in the Australian newspaper that the the suicide toll was going to outship the coronavirus toll. And then um, great mates with Wayne Swass and, and Jake Edwards are both doing great things with their respective foundations. And then I thought, well, what can I actually do? You know, I mean, I know that we're, we're better at the conversation in and around mental health, but then I thought, what can I actually do? And um, it was quite interesting at that time, exactly like what we're doing now, that everyone was doing Zooms. And then I thought, well, what if I can just do a, a live Zoom walk where I can take people for a walk and a talk? And it's, um, 
yeah, that was that was the idea how it started. I just said, well, okay, I'm just going to put the Zoom link out there, uh, go for a walk and a talk. I'll get a guest on there. Um, and it was really about bringing the mood up. You know, I mean, I wanted to be able to, um, the big thing with Walk With Me and what we're, where we're evolving to now is, um, yeah, what what things can we help improve with people with their phys- physical and mental fitness? And um, yeah, it was, it's been an amazing thing to do. I think in the, that first year of the pandemic, I think we did 102 Zoom walks. Um, and you talk about in footy parlance, well, after Dan Andrews would give a, an inspirational speech on a Sunday and uh, then on a Monday, everyone would, so this was like Sunday afternoon. So we all remember back to the pandemic and Dan would say, right, you're in lockdown for another three months or whatever it was. Imagine I was the leader on the Zoom and it was, you know, I mean, I was very fortunate in Queensland. It wasn't as bad, but when I was getting on those Zoom walks, seriously, I felt like the AFL coach at halftime, you were down by 20 goals. You've lost three, your best players because people, people were just numb at that point. And um, I don't know, at least I felt like I was, doing something to to genuinely genuinely help people because at that time um as we all know you know i mean when the lockdowns were happening there wasn't a lot of um things to look forward to but look at least by at at that time we were doing zoom walks at 7 a.m and on monday wednesday friday so um very it was very humbling and a bit very fulfilling to do we're now going into a a new phase and there's going to be some exciting announcements uh, to come about how we're going to do walk with me moving forward, that it might have a football element to it, but how we can use football as a bit of a vehicle to go and speak to more people and, and talk to them about the, the importance of physical and, and mental fitness. And that's where I'm sort of big on, like, I know that we're, we're better in using the conversation about mental health, but I'm, I'm, all, I'm trying to use the word, more around mental and physical fitness, you know what I mean? Because it's like, if you say fitness, it just has a different connotation. Like I said, we're better at the word, at using the language in around mental health, but fitness, it just, it's a bit more empowering. So um, yeah, like it, like I mentioned boys, it's um, for something I, I never thought um, by doing what I would, did I think I, in two years time, would I still be doing it? Had no idea, but, to be able to help say or help people during the pandemic, it's been, it had been fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's that's probably one of the positives that came out of the pandemic was people were were really opening up with their mental health and um, being a lot more open with it, and people being a lot more susceptible to to listening to it as well. So, now that's fantastic. And yeah, even we did a couple of episodes around Movember as well. So, but um, the frustrating is, the thing is for everyone out there. Don't bloody stop just because yeah, exactly. we're all back to normal. Because I'm noticing a lot of people just go back to doing the same shit. Yep. You just got to be so mindful of your own structure, your routine. No different to what you boys probably do with your Pressure Point podcast. You've got your own structure, your routine. You know what you've got to do. Yep. You find whenever you stray from that, that's when you get yourself into trouble. So just because everything's so-called going back to normal, not wearing masks anymore, all these other things, you've just got to be so vigilant about how you look after yourself from a physical and mental point of view. Yeah. 100%. Nah, love it, mate. Love it. All right. Before we uh, before we wrap up, we'll, uh, we we do a segment called The Pressure Cooker. Well, so we'll ask a, a few quick fire questions and um, nothing too too scary. And um, and then we'll, we'll finish up from there. Well, I mean, we've probably asked this. So we probably know the answer to this one. But best player you've played with, we might go apart from Wayne Carey, who's the best player you've played with. Uh, well, I can say the, the best player that I played against and people are a bit surprised and you did interview him, I think last week you might have said, but I I said the, the footy that Anthony Kudafetis played against us in 2000, I remember there was a game at Princess Park, he had 38 possessions and kicked five goals and in the end, I think Wayne Carey was playing on Kuda in the last quarter which um, was quite funny because it's like Duck didn't want to go near him because he didn't want to be seen that he was actually having to play on someone else. But um, no, nah, look, I I think that patch 
from what I'd seen. I know, look, played against a lot of great players from Tony Lockett to Dunstall and many, many great players. But the one, I don't know, for me, that's what really sticks in my mind is the, the best football someone had played against a team I was on. Yeah, I remember that game very clearly. I bet you One do. One of my early early memories as a Carlton supporter. I bet you do. I bet you do. <laughs> now, apart from the premierships, because I guess they're probably the obvious ones, what's the what's your favourite game you've played in? Oh, no. Oh, well, there's no particular favourite game in terms of um, – I narrow it down, but my favourite night was the one that we used to own was playing Friday night footy. Um, I think for – yeah, it's probably the thing that frustrates me with North Melbourne. We, we're the ones who started Friday night footy. Um, I get frustrated from a point of view that, yeah, I understand that Carlton and Collingwood are going to play each other every year and there's Anzac Day every year and there's all these other games that are games, that historical games and whatever. But the one thing that people do forget about that from sort of 1985, the first Friday night game, was played between North Melbourne and Collingwood in 1985. And then for probably seven or eight to 10 years, or probably the first six or seven years, no one wanted to play on Friday night. And North Melbourne were the only ones that ever wanted to play it. But yeah, like I, you always knew as a North Melbourne player that we, we were very fortunate. We got to play in a lot of Friday night games and we really treated that night as a badge of honour that we owned it. Like it was someone else coming onto our turf and, um, I think we had a win-loss ratio during that time of maybe 70 to 75% that we'd, we'd, we'd win. That's a pretty handy record to have on a Friday night, that's for sure. And then I guess kind of leads on to the next one. Who is the favourite team you'd like to play against the most? Uh, I always used to – the funny thing was, and I, I tell Peter Everett this story, that I always used to love playing against St Kilda and then – it stuffed me up once I met Spider and discovered that he wasn't a bad bloke. So that stuffed that up. Um, but I don't know. The, the team that we'd always seen that we'd get ourselves up for and play, um, we had really good battles against, was the North Melbourne Essendon games were really big games. Um, yeah, out, out, that, they, they were probably the biggest games during my time at North Melbourne that they, they had – a real edge to them that you, you look forward to. And, and you knew that if you played well in those games that they, you played really well. Yeah. Spot on about Spider too. Great bloke. Yeah. Well, I mean, another, another pressure point guest, isn't he? That's so, it. No, that's great. Um, favorite current day player. Uh, it's pretty hard for me that actually, I reckon they're all at your club, by the way, or <laughs> well, the club I used to play for, um, no, I reckon I love watching uh, Paddy Cripps. Um, and it, but even I know I, I do laugh. I reckon even the great Stephen Kernahan. Um, it was always interesting before big games of footy that sticks. You'd have that big booming voice, and if he knew that, if he knew that you could get a hold of someone, he'd either come up and give you a little bit of a rev up, and <coughs> excuse me, he'd um, he'd give you that you know what the you know what to do, big fella type thing, but. Yeah, the big boys that you've also got down forward and um, Charlie and uh, Mackay down there. I do like watching them, though. I'm more of a fan of Kerno because I reckon I'm more of a traditionalist. I can't handle this shit about kicking around your body. Now, as a Carlton fan, if he gets 30 metres out in the grand final, I think your heart is going to be in your mouth. But now nah, to answer your question, I, I think you can see I'm a big fan of the the big powerful players and, and Kerno and Cripps. Um, I think look, Carlton fans have had a rough time the last, last 20 years, but shit. You know, when you, when you know you're going to go to the footy and watch the pair of them, you sort of, I understand you got Walsh and you got all these other players weedering and, and got some really good players by the way, but holy crap. When you got the, when you got the chance to go to foot, the footy and watch um, Kerno and Cripps, I don't think it gets much better than those two. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it any better, to be honest. <laughs> well, we'll move on to the next question with that note. Uh, who's your tip for the, the flag this year? Oh, um, I don't know. I, it, the, the finals are, are going to be really interesting. Um, look, I know that obviously Melbourne are yeah, going to be heavily fancy, but I don't, and again, I don't want to get the, the Carlton fans 
too up and about, but <laughs> if, I, if I looked at it, I've been saying to a mate of mine that barracks the Carlton, I, I, I look at all the, the pieces that Carlton have got and that's going to trouble any team. And I think if they can, but the only thing is, like they're experiencing at the moment, they're, they're going to find a way to get through these periods where they're going to lose Weedering and McKay. And, you know, I mean, you, you've got to find a way to keep the wins rolling um, because you don't want to, for a long time, where they look like they, they're, they're nearly, I don't want to say, I don't want to jinx them, but it looked like for a while they're going to be sort of a bit of a lock to maybe even finish in the top four. Um, but they've just got to find a way to get through. Um, so to answer your question about who do I think can win it, I, I actually do. I, I do like the idea of a, a Carlton and, and Melbourne type grand final. Like, I, cause I, the reason is I, I, I love it because I think Carlton have got the bits that could really, really worry Melbourne. You know I mean? I think their midfield, like with um, Cripps, they'd have to be accountable to Paddy Cripps. And then even the forwards, I think they make Lever and, and these guys down back from Melbourne and May, they they make them ultra accountable. There's none of this sagging off and whatever. All of a sudden, they're genuinely, if they get Mackay and Cripps, I think they can really, really do some damage. So, but again, once you get to September, I, I think it's a matter of, um, yeah, you've got to get the wins under your belt, but it's, have you got all the cattle? That's that's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, the injury crisis at the moment is is ridiculous. And I think, yeah, it's going to, I mean, yeah, you would have said top four lock a week ago, but yeah, it's just getting, I think the weedering injury's gotten too much now. So, but that got me excited just hearing that. Yeah, I bet it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, best piece of advice? Uh, what for footy? Or that you, or best piece of advice that you've received, um, you know, over your, over your time? No, look, I, I think I'm very fortunate that, um, yeah, like the the people that you were surrounded with at North Melbourne, that you, yeah, you'd have lots of, not so much advice, but whether it's more the behaviours and the way that you go about your footy that have, I think, created habits that go over into your everyday life, like I. Um, I think in terms of your preparation, like from from Dennis Pagan, and and even just on a side note, it was not, it was never not a shock to me that Dennis Pagan would be a a Group One winner with his horse because I we also you, if you understand the person and the way that he prepared for everything, it's little wonder that that carried across into him training horses as well. Um, but I don't know. I, I think anyone, if my advice for anyone to going into footy. Believe it or not, I think you, I think you, if I was giving advice to anyone to coming into footy, the number one thing I'd say is that you'd embrace, um, embrace all the, all the difficulties, embrace all the hard times, because to be honest, they're the ones you'll learn the most about it, about yourself in those tough times. And I know with me, whether it's things that happen to me or whether, like I mentioned before, the badge of honor of me, going to Carlton and going through a tough time, I think that's when you, you're actually going to learn the most about yourself. And it, it becomes a bit of a contradiction when we go into to play sport. It's like, oh, we don't, want to, we don't want to get dropped or we don't want to go through a hard time when really they're the things that actually make you in the end. So I think if you can, if you can manage to work your way through that, the amount of resilience that you'll get out of it is not only great for sport, but it's great for life. I love that. That's going to be something yep. for everyone to take on board going forward. And then last question of the pressure cooker. I might test you a little bit with this one here, but pineapple on pizza, yes or no? <laughs> um, oh, dilemmas. Um, <laughs> Told you it'd be tricky. On, on my own one, maybe not. But then again, if I'm having one with a lot, well, I haven't got a choice, have I? And I, good, good point. Never that is true. That. that is true. <laughs> so if it's the kids' pizza and it keeps them happy, I don't, I don't really care. But <laughs> to answer your question, if I had to go out of my way and put it on there as an extra topping, no, I wouldn't do it. No, there okay. we go. Interesting. There you, go. you heard it here first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. It's a, very, it's a very deep answer, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was. 
Put it this way, if it was 4 a.m. after the grand final, I couldn't care what it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. Oh, that's as well. great. Love it. All right. Well, um, that that's it, mate. That was um that was amazing. Uh, absolutely loved it. And um, yeah, very appreciative of your time. So um, but yeah, no, thank you, mates. And um, yeah, wish you all the best with walk with me and, and everything you're doing with that as well. So uh, thank you again. No, that's all right. I'll uh you'll see hopefully the updates that are going to happen with the uh, not only walk with me, but what we're going to do with these training sessions with North Melbourne, which should be a, a bit of fun. And I'll, uh, I'll give all the North Melbourne supporters out there, probably yeah, all 10 of them out there. Um, <laughs> no, nah, but they'll, they'll give all the fans out there at least, you know, I mean, something to look forward to. And, and, you know, I mean, more importantly, just shows everyone what a great place that, you know, I mean, footy clubs are, but more importantly, what a great place the North Melbourne footy club is. Yep, absolutely. Nah, well said. But yeah, nah, thanks again, Corey, man. And uh, we'll uh, hopefully yeah, chat again soon. No worries, boys. Thank you. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey.